Hey, this is Peyton Hopp, driver of the U98 Mike's Hard Lemonade in Saturday Night Hydro League, the Hydro Sim Racing League. I am excited to share that the Rooster Tail Talk podcast is a presenting sponsor of the fall series. They will be racing this fall as we take to the virtual lakes around the H1 series with our 10 race season starting on October 3rd. You can watch all 10 races with our streaming service on YouTube under UHL Hydroplanes. Do you want to join in on the virtual deck-to-deck racing? You can download the HydroSim game at uhlhydroplanes.com. Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Tail Talk. It is September 8th, 2020, and this is episode 52, part two of our Nate Brown interview. We pick up right where we left off of last week. And we talked to Nate about his early days in racing Unlimiteds. We focused on the Tide days, him racing the number two boat for Woomer, moving into racing for Elstrom Manufacturing and getting his first career victory in the Unlimited ranks at Seattle Seafair. And finally, we even talk about him winning the Gold Cup when he stepped in to race for Kim Gregory in 2004. Well, I want to get back to in the early 90s, because you went from 92 with Leland over to the tide. Mm-hmm. I was curious how how that came about, how you got on, on board with them. Yeah, no, I I got let go by Fred for a few things, and I'm not going to get into all of them, but there was a few things we got let go for. Um, one of which was I was you know Fred drove me crazy at times. You know he he had some really bad decisions. Um, one of the last straws was San Diego actually, and uh, he said just run it. I didn't care. I said Fred, we have to clean it. We got salted up. No, just run it. And it blew up, you know, so it was just, it was frustrating some of those decisions Fred would do, and he was stubborn and all that stuff, but I, like I say, I learned a ton from him, um, and I love him dearly, uh, and we got along great later, later years, I mean, he really, if it wasn't for Fred, I mean, I wouldn't have the gearbox stuff that I had going, he, he would sell me parts and pieces, and he, he was really a great, great guy, so anyway, to make sure everybody knows that, I mean, we definitely were friends, especially when he passed, um, but anyway, the, uh, uh, Back when I went from there to the tide boat, I was unemployed and Danny High called me up and they needed a guy to help rebuild the back of the boat. So I was hired as a, not as a backup driver, but I was hired really as a boat guy, like I always did. <laughs> it was funny because he said, yeah, we want to replace the back end of the boat. I said, no problem. So I sawed the back of the boat, back of the boat off, cut right between the air traps and sawed the whole thing out. And he comes back from lunch and goes, what the, did you do? And I said, you wanted me to replace the back of the boat. So I cut it out. Oh, you know, he didn't, you know, I learned this one too, but he wanted me to leave the belly pan and the shaft line and all that stuff. And he's one of the sides, you know, anyway, make a long story short. That was a, the start of the tide, the Pringles deal or the tide deal um, was doing that. But I'm glad we did because it was all rotten anyway. And so we replaced the whole back of the boat, but that was uh, oopsie on my part, I guess. But, Yep, that's what happened there. And then they asked you to step in once George got hurt? Yeah, it was, the, that? The, boat, the boat torqued really bad. So they started playing with the skid fin. And 
it got loose. But the problem was when you kick out a skid fin, this is the lesson I learned there, and I never ever ran a boat this way, was people had ran with kicked out skid fins. Well, they're canned in about 14 degrees, and you kick them out like a half degree or whatever, or basically an eighth inch to six feet. And then they would ride up on that fin a little bit. Well, George crashed um, in, in Kansas City and hurt himself really good. And then, uh, so they, they said, Nate, you want to jump in? And I remember Tracy Brackbolt saying, Nate, get your stuff together. So I was fortunate, you know, to be able to be there, uh, to be able to fill in for George. And I was fully assumed he'd be back. And it was, it was fun to drive the boat. But the very next race in Tri-Cities, I crashed it. Uh, and it was, I had a great race going with uh, Steve David. And all this, I'm looking over at him deck to deck. And I look forward and all I see is blue sky. There's no reason the thing went over. So, but it did. I was fine. I fixed it the week between Tri-Cities and Seattle, put it back in the water again. We had uh, a testing session and the boat dang near blew over to 140 miles an hour. So that's when we realized that something was wrong. So we, you know, the skid fin, we redid that and pulled it in and then it, it started getting better. But yeah, if you're a hydroplane racer and you're watching this, don't ever run with a skid fin kicked out because it'll, uh, <laughs> it'll blow over on you. <laughs> well, you had some good times there and you had some near winds with tide that was uh was a fast boat but just not quite there oh, it was so frustrating and to know what i know now the people that beat me were all cheating frankly and i don't want to say cheating in a negative sense but like in detroit when i got second the boat that won this is back in the day when nobody really knew about this the n2 gear deal mm -hmm. we didn't run the n2 gear deal we were running legal but the boat that won was cheating the n2 governor and they ran a, a different gear in the n2 overspeed so the fuel control would think that it's only going certain speed. In reality, it was going the uh, rest of it. So it was uh, one of those things where I, I felt that I did really good uh, getting the second in the Gold Cup that one year running for Tide because, uh, you know, yeah. Winston was uh, cheating. They were running in two gear and also fuel at that yeah. point in time too as well. So, I mean, all that stuff, it, every, it seemed like every time I did good, it was because somebody else was doing something that was technically legal, but really in the theory of things was cheap. They're bending the rules. Yeah. Bending the rules. <laughs> I think well, that's the, the year that I met you. Is that right? Yes, when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 94, and where yeah. you got that picture on the boat. Yeah. Oh, Traded cool. hats. <laughs> oh, cool. Jeff said, was it driving J Hydro and uh, really cool. I actually found the hat. I just, I got to give, I got to give it back to you. Jeff, remind me next time I speak to you. Give it to your daughter. So, yeah, Jeff and I traded hats. Uh, I made him sign an autograph. To, what was the name? It was a uh, your Deuces Wild, the GP yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Burkhart so was driving. I probably got one of the Jeff's first autographs ever, so I should probably give it to the museum. But I'm going to give it guaranteed to guaranteed that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it was cool. He was a good kid, very tenacious kid back then. I remember being a Weber member. Uh, you just can't help but be a boat racer. So it's all. Talk yeah. about genetics there. So. You, you bounced around for a few teams, I believe, in the 90s in the unlimited class. And then uh, one year that kind of stands out for me is 97. Uh, you yep. ran the number two boat for Steve Woomer. Yep. And can you talk about that, that experience in 97? Yep. The reason they hired me was uh, at the time I was actually hired to him to build the uh, Winston Select, which was the lobster boat. <clears throat> Uh, they converted it into a, a, a single wing boat, a regular one. And uh, we made molds off of the, uh, the Sponson from the boat that Billwalk worked on, the Jones Sponsons. We made molds off of that and put those canoes, or those, not the canoes, but the shoes on the Winston Select. 
and built that that boat basically uh, into what it was which then that went pretty well and then at the time the, the sport was down so steve needed to have another boat so he hired me basically to run that second boat um, out of my shop in in preston so it was really a cool deal one of my most rewarding experiences actually was uh, taking that boat which was the three-wing circus circus and uh, converting it um, Jones converted it into a single wing, and then we changed it after Pierce got done with it and turned it into a competitive boat. Um, I always got leftover potato chips from, from uh, Lucero. Um, yeah. And we always, you know, because I had what I had, I was able to concentrate on what I had and change the boat to make it competitive. And it, it wasn't a world beater, but I mean, there was times I finished on the podium. There was times it was yeah. one time in particular it was faster than their primary boat. So <laughs> whenever I did get close to to Lucero, it always seemed like he told me I had a cracked prop. So I had to pull it back because he would always inspect my prop. Then he said, oh, no, that prop's cracked. you got to use this prop now. Well, and I'd lose five miles an hour. And then he'd run that prop on his boat. So it was just a, it was one of those deals. It was a, a good time. I learned how to run uh, basically with nothing. Uh, my brother, Scott Morgan, uh, was a motor guy and, and he was turning too and he he learned a lot about it he was the engine guy in the alamo seven liter uh, boat too as well and it was uh, it was fun because he wanted to get out of the pits into the bar so he would have stuff he was like butch in a way he'd have stuff packed up and ready to go before i'd even come in from the final and so he was just turning two to get things done so it was cool to have one engine because we didn't have to do a lot with just one you know didn't have to do anything but clean it up and park it. So we were always the first ones out of the pit. And I learned from uh, that, to, it really helps to be one of the first ones out of the pits. Yeah, that's gotta make you feel proud though. You were able to, with such a limited fund and um, basis of parts, that to be able to kind of almost, you know, come up to the, to the level in some ways as the close call was in the primary hall, as you were saying, right? It was, it was tough. I mean, it wasn't easy. I had, I, forget the guy's name um shoot again uh but my crew chief uh, at the time was working his butt off on it but then mark and i go and crash into each other in detroit and i lost the whole left sponsor and he quit right after that he couldn't take the pressure of yeah, what, what happened with that crash what how did that happen well back Never then, saw a video of that yeah it was you know mark and i have talked about it but basically mark screwed up and i screwed up it was one of those things we both screwed up um, he cut through the infield in kind of a weird spot, really, but it was legal back then. And I was cutting, but he just kept coming, and we were going to hit head on. So at the very last second, I spun it out on purpose. And, you know, neither here nor there, maybe we would have missed if I wouldn't have done that. That was probably my screw-up. But he, he didn't turn as tight because he didn't want to get a DMV, DMZ violation because I was cutting through right before – the big corner he was cutting through right after the big corner he, he was going to go all the way to the other side not make a loop so he was making a larger arc so he didn't you know it's just one of those things but regardless it was uh i say it was mark's fault and he probably says it was my fault but uh, it was both of our faults because if, if i wouldn't have turned hard right to spin the boat out maybe we would have missed but it would have been really close it was one of those things where ooh, it would have been really bad if we'd hit head on so yeah. As it was, we, we, I took the back of his boat out and I took the left sponson off. And uh, I got it in the water. I fixed it before Virginia. Um, and so, but it was a, a lot of work, let me tell you. 
every, you know, all night long for many days. So yeah. those days are long gone. I, I can't stay up all night anymore. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> But that's kind of a typical boat racer uh, moment, though. Like you, you have to stay up all night to to do repairs, and you know it's it's always. I mean, my father's slogan was, "If it wasn't for the last minute, you won't get anything done." Type of thing. It's yeah. always you're always burning the midnight oil, you know. Well, if you're not if you're not spending all your money, or not utilizing all your time, you're not racing. So pretty much, if you're you know if you got money left in the bank or you have hours left in the day, you're not racing. You know so. Yeah. It takes a lot to rub on any kind of race vehicle. Even when I was racing quarter missions with my son, I found myself staying up till midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning, just getting ready for the next day's race. And it's a freaking quarter mission. So, but we were fast and competitive, but it's because you rub on them hard. So yeah. that's uh, one of the things I try to instill in all the people that, you know, came up around me. Um, remember Jeff Bernard and, and uh, Jimmy Shane, you know, I was hired by quarter to kind of help that team in San Diego. And I remember both those guys, uh, you know, I said, you guys, you're only going to be as competitive as the amount of work you put in on it. And back then, Jeff wasn't a boat guy. He was just a driver. And I got to tell you, Jeff Bernard is really a good boat guy nowadays. I mean, he really is. I mean, he's, he's learned and he's, he's working on a boat and rubbing on things hard. So Jeff, hats off to you. You've done a really great job. The older you get, the more work you put into him. So it's really good. Thank you. Well, later on in that season, 97, you guys, I think down in San Diego, the last race of the year maybe, you were sponsored by Deja Vu. And there was a there was a photo on Facebook recently. You got some uh, some of the girls with the with the company that were posing with the boat, and you said you had some some stories you couldn't share on oh, Facebook. But uh, I just want to give you the opportunity here, you know, if you want to share some of those stories, <laughs> go for it, man. Because I was a good boy uh, during this time period, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, right before that, I was going to drive the Budweiser. When uh, you were, yep, I was oh, I called for me, and he wanted to hire me, and this was a I was driving for uh, Woomer at the time, wow. not Woomer, but uh, for Wooster. In fact, the last year I was driving for Wooster. And I was all set. I was going down to get a driving suit. And then they called me back and said, no, they changed their mind. And Ronnie Brown told me it's because of what I did in Kansas City. And I know what I did in Kansas City. We were all joking around. People that were in Kansas City understand this was, it was blowing like crazy. The race might not have happened. Uh, they were had backhoes in the water trying to make a pit area. It was crazy. So we were all just joking around and playing football and all that kind of stuff. And I used to give Woomer a hard time back then, and Bernie a hard time, just joking around, just mm -hmm. joking all the time, and having fun, making things light. Well, I mooned Bernie and Woomer uh, at the time. Oh. I just dropped trowel right there and gave him a big old moon right there, and they laughed, and they just thought it was a hoot. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I learned my lesson on that one because Jane had seen that in, through the bus. They were, she was in the bus. I didn't know it because there was nobody oh. around it. And it was just them. And they thought it was a hoot. And, uh, but Ronnie told me, no, uh, Jane did not like that. And she did not want me to be the driver. Wow. So I learned my lesson that you got to be professional when you're wearing professional stuff. And yeah. uh, that's, the, that's the truth. You know, I mean, I was wearing a tight uniform. You can't do that especially and I knew I watched it. Nobody was going to take a picture or see it except those two guys. But you know, that's, that's that. So I learned back then that you have to be professional. So here I am running for Woomer. He's picked up Deja Vu as a sponsor. And how do I act professional on a bunch of strippers that are flapping their boobs? <laughs> and it's, it's really hard, but I was a very good boy back then, but there were some crazy stories uh, about some of those chicks that you saw on the deck of that boat. One chick in particular, um, she's dead now, so I can say that. It's sad, but 
she actually went out with uh, Greg Fogel uh, for a while. They they hooked up down there and stayed together, but she got murdered uh, that next year, which is really sad. But yeah, she made that lifting eye disappear on the deck of that boat. I think it's been bad. <laughs> but yeah, that it was. It's interesting because I was fairly naive, and the the guy that owned Deja Vu was a businessman wearing a suit and tie, a great family. He would take me through the facilities and tell me which ones were what, and they were filming adult films, and this one you could hear everything. And it was just, it was just odd. It was just really strange. <laughs> but it was, it was after about the first, oh, I don't know, hour in these places, it was like, dude, I, let me, I'd rather go to the beach. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. go drink a beer or something like that. But it was fun. It was fun for a while. But I'm really glad we got rid of that sponsorship. Um, Jim Harvey took it over, and he felt right at home. <laughs> <laughs> now knowing what i know now i probably would have got divorced sooner um but it was uh, it was a good time it was great great pictures and the magazine is still uh got well dog-eared on my shop office <laughs> interesting times right interesting times you know there's so many things like that back when uh bernie yeah. i remember him i mean what was it jeff remember the guy's name that was his bouncer his bodyguard his name Joe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The big guy? So they always try to get in fights, and Joe would always have to step in. And I mean, this is back in the days when it was a lot different, when we'd be in Evansville and Bernie's Bar. and I mean, I just remember stories. Uh, not stories, but I mean, I was there for a lot of these things. It was, it was so different than today, it seems. Maybe it's just because I'm older, but it seems like after the races, people don't do anything but go to dinner and then go home. Back then... I mean, you got, you got plastered, and everybody was hammered until midnight and doing all that stuff. And I think they put a kibosh to a lot of that stuff, which is probably good. Yeah. They brought in the breathalyzers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they didn't have them back then. So it was some pretty crazy Because of time. you guys. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Probably because of you guys. But it was fun. It, it really was. The, the memories are great. Dancing. I, I remember one time Chip was, I think we were at a bar. And he, there was a couple of really hot chicks and they were, I forget exactly the whole thing. It's kind of fading memory because I was kind of hammered, but I remember getting up and asking one of these girls to dance and she did for me. And I remember it because to me, Chip and there's two different levels back then. I was a little guy. I was a new guy in the sport. I was young, whatever, kind of geeky. And uh, these guys were jocks and winning the races and all that stuff. So I just felt kind of cool to be even in the same bar with them, let alone the same table, let alone I had the balls to get up and ask some girl to dance. They, uh, they said, oh, she'd never dance with you, and she did. So those were interesting times back then, and uh, it was fun. It was fun. I wish I had recordings of it all. <laughs> well, maybe one day I'll have to do like a crazy behind-the-scenes stories of uh, old races and stuff like that and get more of those well, just out get, there. Just get Mark and I in the same room. I mean, there's some stories I got to mark that are not in his book. That, uh, All right. <laughs> we'll, 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 have, we'll have to do that. That'd be, that'd be pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you've always had like a fun personality and seems like a lot of interviews. You, you've been kind of lighthearted with, with things and, and joking about things. Um, I, I take that's kind of your natural personality. Just you're kind of just that kind of fun guy. But how hard was it for you to turn that off when you get in the boat and be kind of a serious racer and get that, that, that race face on? 
it's it's not hard at all. It's, I'm being myself. I mean, I, it's the way I am all the time. I'm not putting on any kind of a, and that's Jeff. I mean, that's the way I am. Now, I can get pissed, don't get me wrong, and I can show my, my colors. And, and yes, I do. Yes, said yes. <laughs> but, you know, I, I also, you know, I'm myself. I'm being myself, you know. So I learned not to drink Red Bulls um, because that's asshole juice. And uh, I, I turn into an asshole when I drink Red Bull. So um, that's why I don't drink energy drinks because it gets me on edge. But um, I have learned in my older years to definitely kuma matata, you know, on certain things. But I am competitive and I don't like things to go wrong, especially when you really work so hard to make them go right. And then when something goes wrong, you know, I, I don't like that at all. Uh, but interviews, I mean, you're trying to create a, you're also a, a public eye person and you want to, you know, you know, answer questions and have fun doing it. Um, but I take that as a compliment that I was a fun hearted guy, but uh, it's, it's not all fun and games when it comes to boat racing because it's lives are on the line. You want to make sure everybody's safe. Um, you want to make sure people do their job. It's hard uh, to get a bunch of volunteers to do what you tell them to do because they're volunteers. Being, uh, you know, I have what, 70 people work for me here at the casino. And I try to treat them just like a crew member, like a volunteer. You know, you try to get the teams to be all the crew members here at work or on a race team to be on the same page. And it's, it's, it's tough. And the teams that can do it, um, I can honestly say the U17 uh, team was a great team. Even the last year wasn't as good, probably. We had different things going on and different dynamics, and my heart wasn't in it as much. Uh, but there were, there were some years in there when, you know, to ask Jeff, it was a great bunch of guys and a great mm -hmm. team. And it wasn't the fastest boat. We didn't have the biggest budget. But there were some races that we could have won uh, real easily. Uh, but we were definitely competitive. We went from what I think first time in the water, it was really cool. We were hundred and what, 145 mile an hour right out of the box. To me, that's one of my, my favorite times was to build something in your garage, put it in the water, 145 right out of the box. And, you know, it would turn for shit and it handled like hell. And it was, you know, there's a lot of issues we had with it. Um, but it was really, really cool to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, it's just trying to be yourself. Yeah. Well, I always enjoyed your interviews. I thought it was fun to see different personalities. I mean, some of the drivers were kind of very cold and in their responses and not as entertaining. So I just, I enjoyed that um, well, you know, when I saw that. So, Thank yeah. You. So we're kind of going through your career in uh, the early 2000s. You went over to Elam uh, and raced for them and you got your first victory in 2001, I believe, yep. at Seafair. How, how meaningful was that to get that as your first victory pretty much everything when you when you think about the earlier story i told about you know growing up on lake washington pulling a boat and rowing the boat around the, the you know the island to be able to really even today when i drive across the floating bridge when seafarers sit up i look over at it it just seems uncanny weird to me uh, but that year when i won i actually had my cruiser in the pits and everything it was just surreal to me to know that i, I finished building that boat in my own shop um, I put the hardware in it, the deck on it in my shop and did all the cockpit stuff. Uh, the hull was built over at Elam, so it was finished up in my shop. You know, it was it was a good boat. I mean, even Vilwak will say it was a good boat. But it was really a good boat. And uh, sometimes you, you get a good one, and that one worked out really well. Dale did a fantastic job on the bottom part of it. But it, was, uh, it meant everything to me because, you know, I tried to win boat races my whole life. I tried for 10 years. And it's a lesson to all those people that, 
you know, persevere. Sooner or later, you're going to, you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. um, but that was, uh, you know, frankly, part of it was also to, because of the rules of the time. I'm not going to ignore the fact that, you know, we had 4.1 gallons for fuel flow and Budweiser only had 3.9 gallons. In fuel flow. So he was at a disadvantage. Um, but technically, still out drove him. I still <laughs> did good. What do you say, Jeff? Technically, I don't know if it was actually 3.9. Yeah, I remembered Tri Cities when you first showed up there with that thing. And man, there were some awesome races with you in the bud. We yeah. all knew that eventually he was going to win with it. There was no doubt. I thought he was going to win Tri Cities. I had him locked for winning Tri Cities. And they were bumping and banging coming down the straightaway. It was awesome. And then he didn't get it there, and then to see him get it in Seattle was was pretty special. Him being from Seattle, so yeah. But uh, that some of the awesome races that year was Elam and Bud with Nate, and he when he showed up in Tri Cities. I mean, it was hammered down. That thing was fast. Yeah, it was good. I like one of the favorite things is when he uh, on the Vilwalk Greatest Hits, and he <laughs> said, "I move five feet." or five inches or five feet or whatever he says and you guys are running on the outer course markers and he's in like lane three you're supposed to be in lane three but that's how it was all weekend long it was just awesome and they i think they hit multiple times yeah i i, I one of those races i forget which one it was but he bumped me and i i opened up side of his boat and then he bumped me on the other side too as well but anyway that was a I, th I think I know that year we're talking about, and it was some good races, and it was tough. But, you know, I mean, Dave is a really tough competitor, you know, and people can't stand him for certain reasons. But, you know, he, he's a tough competitor, and he's definitely someone you have to shoot for. And, you know, I, I get along with Dave. At the same time, back then, it was just really tough because he would have, be so full of himself and all that. But sometimes you have to be in, in the professional boat racing. And, but he's been like that his whole life in any class he's ever raced. He's been a competitor, very tough. And, uh, you know, he got caught cheating a couple of times, but, you know, it's, it's what it is. I mean, we tried our own best, too, as well, to do things, to, to do certain things uh, with, with those things. But it was fun racing the ELAM because I had an owner that really appreciated uh, competition. Um, a lot of things weren't, you know, ever shown on film. But one of my favorite moments was when Dave came up to, to uh, Eric and said, good racing, but we'd beat you if we were equal on fuel or something like that. And then Eric said to Dave right there on the spot, you name it, $50,000, winner take all, we'll run the same fuel flow, we're going to beat your ass. And I remember it was, a, it was, I wish I had a recording of it to know all the exact things that were said right there. But it was heated discussion, and it was uh, Eric putting his money where his mouth is back in down Villawak at the time. And it was, uh, I would have loved to have seen it. I think it would have been a hell of a show <laughs> myself. It would have been fun to drive, too, because the boat did handle really, really well. And people don't really realize it, but Eric's propellers are, were the best in the business back then. And he would have propellers that were lighter and thinner than anybody else's. And, you know, he always said he sold propellers to anybody, the same ones he would run. And that would be true in most cases. But he would have, they call it the X-Prop now, but back then he had X2. Um, which is twice as thin, and, and he would have propellers that nobody could compete with, and and that really made a huge difference uh, in racing and competition. Yeah. Well, speaking of the owners of that boat, the, I was thinking of Sven. I think it was around that time when that that new boat came out, 
but my favorite quote from him was he was on camera and he said he got he got bigger mirrors for the boat so they could see the Budweiser easier so the driver could see the Budweiser easier as he was winning the race. <laughs> that sounds like Sven. And Mr. Elstrom was uh, really quite a, quite a character. He was definitely a patriarch of the family, but make no bones about it. I mean, Eric was the one that ran that show. Yeah. But the dad, you know, if he didn't want to do something, you know, Eric would, would follow suit. Those were, it was quite, yeah. quite the family back then. Yeah. And it was great to be a part of it and great to be involved back in building a 97 boat too. And I got to say, you talk about interesting times, but I remember when Eric hired me to run the boat that I helped him build with Ken, Dry Ken Dryden drove for a while. We went to Detroit um, in Elstrom Colors. And, uh, you know, I ran my ass off on that thing, flew it as high as I could ever fly it. This is after I think somebody crashed in one of their boats or whatever. But we did pretty good. I think we got third or fourth that year. I forget, something like that in Detroit. I got a picture hanging on my shop wall. So I'm running right next to uh, uh, one of the Porter boats at the time. It was pretty cool. All right. Yeah, well, I mean, some great racing there with Elstrom's. I think another highlight of your career was in 2004, Jeff's uncle, actually, Mike, got injured with Kim Gregory's boat, I believe in Madison, injured his back, and you got called up to uh, replace him for Detroit. And uh, talk about that experience, because that was, that has to be one of the highlights of your, your career. Yeah, obviously, you never know what's going to happen, but yeah, Mike had got hurt. I think his back wasn't quite ready yet, and, and Kim uh, wanted to put something in to make keep Mike safe. So I, I, I'm the, basically the professional feeling driver at this point in my career, um, and it was it was a great opportunity to do it. I was it was really honored to be able to do that. Uh, the boat was really stuck down, um, so I think being a boat guy, um, I was able to help the thing get loosened up. Um, they also gave me some fuel, uh, you know, above and beyond what normally would happen to help make the boat competitive. And I didn't really realize the difference it makes, but honestly, I think we're running 4.5 gallons a minute for fuel uh, legally because of the rules. And I could stand on that throttle and I could motor past Budweiser like he's tied to a fence post. It was just amazing to, to feel that kind of horsepower. So I was able to do well that race. We were able to uh, keep it on the water. And uh, it, was, it was great for Kim to be able to get him the Gold Cup and myself too. I mean, but to me, the, the Gold Cup wasn't, what it is to like a lot of the diehard boat racers. To me, it's just another race because it was always in Detroit. It wasn't like we were trying to win it back to Seattle or something like that. So it kind of lost some of its deal. But it was very cool to, to get that as a driver. Uh, I'd won it before as a crew chief from the Winston Eagle boat back in 91 with uh, Tate driving. And to get it as a, a driver was really cool, uh, especially for Kim. I was really, really happy for him. I honestly felt a little sorry for Mike because here was his chance to, to do that. If he was in his boat, that boat, he would have won the gold cup, but he was a great sport. He was part of the team. Um, and it was, it was good. He was the radio guy, you know, so it's good for him to, uh, be part of it too as well. And I'm sure he wanted to be in it. I, I know he did. Um, but I, I'm not going to say that I didn't enjoy being there too as well. So I drove for Kim for a while. Uh, it didn't work out. He wanted me, I think, to be down in, in Vegas a lot more than I wanted to be. Um, he set up the shop down there at the, the racetrack down there in Vegas full. And uh, so we, we, I helped, I was there for a couple of months and then um, J-Dub came in. He could offer more, I think, at the time. And that didn't last long either. But uh, Abe Bryant, rest in peace, was uh, just a perfect fit for, for Kim. And uh, I do miss that guy. Of, of all the guys, I mean, I miss all of them, honestly. I mean, Bernie and Woomer and Fred and Kim. 
these are all guys that have, have all passed in, in my mind too soon. Um, the sport really, these guys were bigger than life personalities. Kim was bigger than life you know, physically, you know, uh, and his, his son, uh, and their, that whole family was wonderful. It was a great honor to be able to drive for them and, uh, win the gold cup as a driver. When you, when you say for Kim and how cool was it, it just kind of made me think of it. Yeah, how many times they ran second with my uncle Mark and and stuff, and then they sell the boat to Bardish, and Bardish goes out the first race and wins the Gold Cup. It's like unbelievable, yeah. a lot of luck, obviously, and uh, how frustrating that had to be for Kim. So to see you win it for Kim the next year was awesome because it ran second for three, four years to the bud, and mm -hmm. you know you you sell the boat and it goes out and wins the Gold Cup right off the bat. Uh, with a different owner it's like what the heck and yeah. so the next year you know there's controversy the next year when you won it but wins a win <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hey yeah. I, and two of my three wings you know I wasn't the first across the line and, and that is a bummer you know it, it that was the cool thing about the Seattle win is I was the first one across the line I let, I let it wire to wire out rode the competition and I won uh, and down there I mean Wilbot got penalized running over top of Elam and I was there, but the boat was still fast. Uh, and I think I could have beat him regardless, but you know, it worked out the way it worked out. So really happy for Kim. That's really the biggest thing. And talking to Matt now, I mean, he, before he passed, I mean, they played that video. Uh, that was just amazing video that, uh, but I've posted it once before. I should probably post it again. It's a, a video of winning the gold cup. Uh, Dave, Ken's name is Dave. Anyway, he uh, posted a great video, and I'll I'll give it to you. I'll send it to you, uh, so you guys can see it again. That'd be cool. It was really awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was, Gregory's was a great family, and like Jeff said, he had such hard luck for so many years. He put so much into the sport and his team. So it was it was really fun to see him get that gold cup victory. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our episode. Make sure you come back next week to listen to our next episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on the major players, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Talk is also online with our website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. And if you're really enjoying your experience and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website through the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.